TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. of data gathering, the National Center for Transgender Equality recently released the largest ever study on the experiences of those in the trans community, looking at everything from life satisfaction and support to the spaces where discrimination and fear are still being felt. So what is the state of things for the transgender person in America? And is life any better or worse in the Bay Area? Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Mary Hughes. We're going to take the broad view first with Mike White with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, one of the primary funders of the U.S. Transgender Survey 2022. And Mike, thank you so much for being a part of this in-depth conversation. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks, Mary. All right. So what prompted um, this survey to to come into being, and you know, how did we get to to where we are now with it uh, here in 2024? Even though I know that the the survey is technically through 2022, but what's its beginnings? That's right. We had so much data to get through that it took uh, about a year and a half to get here. But yes, it is the 2022 survey. Um, and I'm so glad you asked about the history of this survey because I think it's really fascinating, and I think it really will surprise a lot of folks. What's really under the effort of the U.S. Transgender Survey 2022 is to understand the experience of transgender Americans um, throughout America across any sort of facet of their life, whether it's education, healthcare, employment status, experience in their community, experience with their family, um, experience in the doctor's office, you name it, it's in this survey. And there's a really specific reason that this survey is so important. And that's because under the Obama administration, there was a huge amount of effort to get questions about gender added to the United States Census. And that would have really helped us understand on an extremely broad level across the country, the experience of of trans folks across the country, we would have been able to take that census data and really disaggregate it to understand how trans people were living. And it would have been a really incredibly useful tool. A lot of advocates were incredibly excited about this. 
the unfortunate reality of the census is that it actually took place under the Trump administration. And very early on in the Trump administration, they unfortunately decided to take out any references to gender or sexuality from the United States census. So as of now, the U.S. Trans Survey 2022 is actually the only um, large-scale effort we have to understand the trans experience in America. So it really is an incredibly critical and singular data, data set right now. For the purposes of what we're looking at now, this, this 2022 survey, um, let's get just a, a couple of data points. What was yeah. the participation like for this survey? Who, who was being uh, reached out to? What demographics are we covering? You know, just how broad is this look? What's so exciting to me about this effort is that it builds on the 2015 effort, which I believe saw about 30,000 folks respond. So this time, the National Center for Transgender Equality, our partners leading the work, partnered with over 400 groups in communities across the country, and they were able to find 90,000 transgender folks to take this survey. And again, it covers everything from housing to healthcare to family life, schools, employment, you name it. It's incredibly comprehensive, and it was we were even, for the first time, able to survey young people, as, as young as 16 and 17 for the survey, to understand their experience with being trans. And, you know, I think the most important part of this survey's findings the sort of singular data point that I want people to understand is that almost 100%, 99% in fact, of respondents responded that they were either satisfied or extremely satisfied with their decisions to seek gender affirming care and to live their life as a trans person. So this really flies in the face of so much of the policies that we're seeing at the local and state level across America that seems to think that we know better than trans people know for themselves and that we somehow need to protect trans people and our communities from themselves. When this data really shows that trans folks who decide to live their truth are incredibly, almost universally happy with their decision. That was an aspect of this that that really stood out to me as well. And in, in such a positive way was the satisfaction uh, overall. And that that does feel like a real step up um, for the, the trans community um, to, to be able to say that, especially since this is, you know, uh, coming from a pool of many more people who were a part of the survey. Um you know, and you were just sort of saying there, you know, what a what a good aspect to, to this survey that is. Um, what do you think that says just about everything on the whole for how the transgendered community and how transgender people are feeling in America to, to, to be able to say that confidently that they are feeling satisfied? You know, I think that it couples with a few other data points to really paint an interesting picture. You know, one of the other things that I find so heartwarming about this survey data is that it shows that a, a strong majority of trans folks, not, not, not just within themselves, feel comfortable being trans, but they actually feel accepted in their families and in their immediate community, which is not something that we're, we're, we're necessarily hearing in all of the headlines. But a, a majority of trans folks do feel comfortable. However, at the same time, one in 10 trans folks felt that their job had been in danger um, simply for being trans in their community. A large number of trans people simply had trouble finding a public bathroom they felt comfortable using out in their community. So I think what it really shows that even though trans people feel directly supported 
in their own decision personally and with their community and their family, there are structures and laws out there. And there are things being sort of put on the books that don't seem to represent that sentiment and are really giving trans people a lot of reason to, to, to fear, um, you know, what, what's happening in America right now. Well, yeah. And, and that was, you know, I'm, I'm glad we started with uh, the more positive aspects before, looking at some of those data points that you mentioned um because i i have to feel that it, it's such a strange space to occupy where you feel good about who you are you feel good about the people in your life accepting or or knowing who you are and and loving you for who you are but then to be out in the world where i think one of the big ones that i noticed was that nearly half of the people who responded in this survey said that they would feel very uncomfortable um, asking police for help if they needed it. And to your bigger point there, you know, there's obviously there a gap between what people are feeling personally and what's experienced out there in the world. Mm. Um, so how do we, you know, from your perspective and, and with the perspective of everyone that you worked with with this survey, you know, how do we bridge that gap? One of the reasons I'm so excited that this survey took place in all 50 states and in all U.S. territories is that it really will be able to highlight as we get breakout reports for the states over the next year. So stay tuned for that. But we'll really be able to understand what the trans experience looks like in different states for different folks. And, you know, I, in California, you're very lucky to have a lot of the most protective laws for trans folks. Not that there's not a long way to go and not to, to, to negate the many disparities within the trans community that folks feel, particularly black trans pe people often experience vastly different lives than other folks. So, so that's really something that's important to track, that, that state laws really do powerfully impact whether or not trans people feel safe, feel, feel uh, valued, and, and feel like they're able to be, you know, joyful members of, of American society. Um, there, there are many, many states where not only do they not have protections for trans folks related to their jobs, say, or healthcare, say, but there are actively laws being put on to demonize and criminalize folks that are trans and the families of trans folks, and even the medical providers now of trans folks, simply for following and exercising their own right to self-determine their own lives and to, to, to carve out their own happiness. You know, how, how can these findings be used to, to better help those in the transgender community, non-binary community? You know, it, it's hard for me to think of another community that has had so many words put in their mouths and so many legislative pieces put forward on a, 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 that, that deal specifically with their community with absolutely no real data and particularly no local data, no anecdotal data, no, no strong qualitative or quantitative data. And I really hope that not only is this survey going to provide that data at the state level for folks in ways that are, we can really start creating policy agendas that value the voice of trans folks. But I think what's really important to note is that this research was taken on by trans folks. This is a, a research project of the trans community. So not only are we seeing the voices of trans folks in the respondents to the survey, but the questions came from the trans community. So it really is trans folks at, who understand what needs to be asked 
going out to the community and getting the information they need, rather than cisgender people speculating about what questions that we might need to ask trans folks about their experience out in the world. We really had a team of incredible trans researchers who were able to go in and, and really and really use their lived experience to create this survey in some powerful ways. As a as a queer person myself, it is very often that you have to parse through the conversations that people are having about you uh, mm. and and get to the heart of the conversations that you yourself are actually wanting to have and those within the community. So something like this can be of great value. I know that. Um, so obviously, I, I think you said at the beginning, it, it took some time to actually get all of this data gathered, pull it all together so that, you know, we're here in 2024 talking about 2022 uh, life experiences. What is next for um, a survey like this and for, for these groups who came together to collect this information? You know, is this something that's going to happen, you know, every so often, these types of surveys? Yes. So uh, this survey was supposed to happen in 2020, and it was going to be a follow-up to the 2015 effort, which was the first ever effort. That And, and that effort was quite small. Um, it was taken at a time when, uh, you know, trans activism and organizing um, and just the, the, the trans uh, rights ecosystem was much smaller. So the, the reach was much smaller. And we're so excited that this was able to be a much larger effort. And we're really hoping to, to, to bring this to folks um, that that folks find this as a tool that they can use to talk to decision makers, that they can use when they're following laws that are being passed in their in their area that may seem a little suspicious or may seem like they're not based in the, the lived experience of folks they know. I'm hoping that this will actually give a real voice to that. And one thing I'm so excited about is that this is that over the next year, we'll be releasing data on the trans experiences of Native Americans, of folks with different disability needs, of, um, of trans people of different racial breakouts. So we're really going to understand the trans experience in so many different ways as it intersects with other different parts of American life, because we know that no American lives any sort of one specific life. We all live some kind of intersectional life. And I think that that's what I'm so excited about this being able to highlight for folks. In-Depth will return after a moment. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The Step Back 3, you bet! Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Now let's look closer to home with Honey Mahogany, chair of the San Francisco Democratic Party, district director for assembly member Matt Haney, and co-owner of the Stud Bar in San Francisco. And uh, welcome to In-Depth and to this conversation about the trans experience here in the Bay Area and in particular San Francisco. So glad to have you be a part of this conversation. Glad to be here. Um, so... The survey that uh, I was looking at, um, it's one of the largest ones to look at the lives of transgender people in America from their perspective and with their experiences 
it had some positives to it, but it also had, it also reflected some continued struggles. And I wanted to look at the transgender experience here in the Bay Area, which of course I know can't be boiled down to to just one person or anything like that. Um, but you are such a large part of the LGBTQ plus community here. And I want to know, you know, we're just in the starts really of 2024. What are you hearing from the transgender community with their experiences and their lives right now in San Francisco and around the Bay Area? That's a great question. I mean, um, well, first of all, I want to acknowledge that I think uh, things are better here for trans people than they are in many other parts of the country. Um, you know, we uh, can't ignore all of the bills that were introduced um, in the last two months. I mean, we've already, I think, seen something like 300 anti-LGBTQ bills, and a lot of these specifically targeting the trans community. Um, I just want to acknowledge that there are a lot of people, a lot of trans people across the country who feel very directly attacked, who are experiencing not just harassment, but also persecution um, from the people who are supposed to stand up for them. And last year, I, I fielded many calls um, from, from different people, either who personally wanted to move to a safer place and were considering San Francisco, or um, people who um, were a part of a group that was organizing to help families move, you know, people with um, trans children because their children were no longer safe from their schools or were no longer um, able to access the healthcare that they needed. Um, and, you know, a lot of those folks were looking at places like the Bay Area and San Francisco and California because, um, you know, they see us as being very progressive. You know, San Francisco um, has declared itself a sanctuary city for trans people. And in fact, San Francisco specifically has, you know, a transgender district, an office of trans initiatives. Um, there's a universal basic income um, program pilot with for trans individuals in the city. Um, you know, there's a, a campaign to end trans homelessness in the city because we know that trans and LGBTQ people represent um, a disproportionate amount of our homelessness population here in San Francisco up to, I think, 40% of hom homeless youth identify as LGBTQ in the city. So, but we have a lot of initiatives to help our community. So I think it's a double-edged sword here in San Francisco because yes, there is um, maybe much more acceptance than um, people are experiencing in other places across the country. But um, at the same time, there is this real struggle um, because things are so expensive here and um, you know, uh, trans people do face substantial barriers um, to things like gainful employment. Um, and uh, that really contributes to um, quality of life um, issues, um, sometimes homelessness, um, when you're living in an area so as expensive as the Bay Area is. Yeah, I, I feel like so many conversations that I have now, both uh, within the LGBTQ plus community, but also just in general, um, a lot to do with housing, with um, homelessness, with poverty. And, you know, these are things, you know, just to my point there, we, we see it widespread, uh, I think, across the Bay Area and within the state, but it can be especially difficult for those in the trans community, because on top of these things that are already having the cost of living, um, not being able to to find work, that kind of thing, you also, there's discrimination to add on top of that. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned a lot of initiatives that are there as a support system. What is 
what is the state of things right now for, I'll, I'll say the LGBTQ plus community, but in particular, the transgendered community uh, in San Francisco and around the Bay Area when it does come to to dealing with you know, a, a crisis uh, with housing that I think we're, we're all having to have our eyes on. We are disproportionately um, represented in the homeless population. Um, and for all of those reasons that we talked about, you know, discrimination in the workplace um, uh, uh, or um, lack of access to opportunity because of uh, discrimination um, and also, um, you know, mental health for people who, um, you know, are coming here and living on the streets, oftentimes that really has a negative impact on their mental health, substance abuse, all of these things are ways in which people sort of deal with that. And, you know, it can be really, it can be deadly, um, uh, especially right now. I mean, we've had, I think something like over 800 overdoses um, last year um, here in San Francisco alone. So it, I, I think <laughs> things are hard, they're not easy. Um, and, you know, I, I will say that, unfortunately, when, you know, People say like, hey, you know, we're thinking about moving to San Francisco from, you know, Oklahoma because our, our kid is trans, you know, sometimes I have to say, you know, maybe not San Francisco because the cost of living here is so, so expensive. And again, while there may be lots of services to support, um, you know, if you're a, fam um, a family of four living in Oklahoma, um, you might find it really hard to find someplace affordable. Um, um, here in San Francisco. So um, again, I, I feel like our community is disproportionately impacted by this um, cost of living. Um, and so even though we do enjoy a lot of um, freedoms, a lot of workplace protections, a lot of um, services for our community here, and it's, it's still, you know, like an LGBTQ hotspot and um, epicenter, and um, certainly for the trans community, um, but it is not, uh, it's not an easy um, life. Um, I know a lot of the people that I know, um, especially those who don't have, you know, high paying corporate or government or, you know, uh, job, jobs that are maybe a little more tenuous. I mean, even the tech workers really struggle because, you know, as we've seen, um, many tech companies have had massive layoffs and, um, you know, it's been, it's been a really hard thing for people to deal with here in San Francisco, especially within the queer community. Well, and, you know, when I hear the difficulties, again, uh, something that a lot of people are facing, but disproportionately, uh, it, it affects the queer community. Um, I, I wonder at like, because we California really is a, a space that has a lot of protections and a lot of laws that are that are there for everyone, you know, to support all communities. Um, but it can seem as if these things that it's not enough and so do you feel like enough is in place to to help the lgbtq plus community and the and the trans community in particular when it comes to dealing with these issues are we getting the kind of support that's needed in the bay area or are we still finding places that are lacking well you know i think i think that's a that's a good question um, I will say this, I, I have noticed, you know, I live in the South of Market and I have noticed um, a lot more trans people in general, both in my own building and just as I walk around, the, you know, the streets. I used to see a lot of trans people in the Tenderloin, sometimes in the Mission, but now I'm starting to see people in Soma. And 
um, when I talk to folks, you know, a lot of folks have just moved here recently for a job or, you know, to be in San Francisco. So I think it is happening. People are finding a way here and it's wonderful um, because we do have a lot of the resources, um, you know, whether it be access to healthcare, you know, um, free healthcare, right? We have um, Healthy SF and, um, you know, uh, other um, health resources for people who can't afford, um, you know, afford to go to the doctor or, or don't have access to um, health insurance through their employer. So um, we do have uh, a lot of benefits that the trans community can take advantage of here, especially if you're starting to transition. And in fact, many people, you know, come to the Bay Area to transition. But that being said, um, there are like uh, these larger issues um, that are not, again, specific to the trans community, but um, the trans community is um, disproportionately impacted by them. So, you know, um, definitely building more affordable housing uh, is going to be really important in the Bay Area. Um, and yeah, and there, and there should be an emphasis on affordable because um, a lot of people cannot uh, can no longer afford to live here. You know, generations of San Franciscans who are born and raised here can no longer afford to live here. So we do need, like, um, it cannot be just super expensive housing. We have to build more uh, more housing and have more affordable units available. Um, the other thing um, is that, you know, again, I will mention that the city does have these universal basic income pilots within the trans community and also campaigns to end trans homelessness through the provision of shelter beds and, um, you know, supportive housing. So I, I would love to see more of that again for the trans community and also for everyone, um, because I think we all benefit from these types of programs, um, especially in places like San Francisco. How has the level of support that the trans community has here in the Bay Area, how has that grown over time? And do you think it's gotten stronger as well? I mean, certainly, I think in general across the country, uh, trans people have become more visible. Um, more people are aware like of, of trans people. And, and, and I say... I say that also acknowledging that we've always existed and we've always been there. We just haven't, I think, been um, talked about as much or acknowledged um, or see, weren't seen um, in the public eye as much uh, as we are now. Um, and that I think has gone a long way to both um, educating people, but also um, making us feel I guess, heard and seen in the part of society, <laughs> um, you know, that acknowledgement is really, really important. And, and being able to see people like you living their lives or in all walks of life is really comforting because, you know, for a long time, there was like, as a trans person, you couldn't really envision a future for yourself, right? And uh, trans people and trans, even today, trans uh, women of color, specifically black trans women have a life expectancy of something like 40, right? So it's like, really sometimes hard to imagine like a future for yourself as you know a black trans woman or a trans person um but now we're starting to have this visibility in the media all types of people who we can now look at and say oh my gosh that person is so successful in their industry in their in their work and they are trans and that gives me hope to be able to do that too so i think that in and of itself within american culture um seeing that shift um, has been really, really huge and is probably also what has allowed more people to come out and live their true, be their true selves and um, live their truths. Do you see the trans community in San Francisco and in the larger Bay Area continuing to thrive? You know, as you said, there 
it's not as if there aren't struggles here, but what what are your thoughts about the future of the the trans community in in San Francisco and beyond? Well, I I believe that San Francisco will continue to be a leader on um, trans initiatives and trans issues. You know, we have um, we have the numbers here. I think to make our voice heard, we have um, several strong community leaders and advocates who are determined to um, make sure that we don't forget about the trans community. And I think because San Francisco um, has such a rich um, legacy built on, you know, diversity, specifically within, um, you know, the LGBTQ community, I, I believe that we'll always have a safe space here and that we have people that are really committed to um, ensuring that San Francisco lives its values of um, not just acceptance, but um, inclusivity and, um, and equity. So um, I think generally we're moving in the right direction here in San Francisco, um, and I do believe that we will we will get to a place where um, you know we can make San Francisco more affordable, more welcoming, and um, more hospitable to all people. And I think if we prioritize, sometimes the most vulnerable, you know, um, in the community, we oftentimes say, okay, you know, if we can make um, this program safe and accessible for Black trans women, then we can make it accessible for everyone. And so, yeah, it's that's the future that I think I'm going to be fighting for. Thanks for listening for KCBS and In-Depth. I'm Mary Hughes. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. 